Chapter 10 This Scrawny Thing When Kyla emerged from her nap, the sun was still too high to begin her stalk along the sorrows. So she lazed in its warmth, dangling her legs over the drop. From this high vantage, she could see the whole city sloping steeply down from the citadel on her right to Cheapskate on her left. The Anson Ocean was a gray, infinite sheet beyond the docks. Straight ahead lay Terraside, tiled roofs, climbing tier by tier, growing richer with each step toward Grisson's side. She could make out Chance's corner from here. Beyond it, the city rambled until stopping dead, just short of the starside wall. The enormous divide towered a third again as tall, black, seamless, and without variation along its length. The sun was bending toward the peaks of the Honor Mountains just behind the highest spires of the citadel. People said Her Enlightened Majesty L. Lemin Louis kept an office at the top of one of those towers. Rather stupid in Kyla's judgment. How many stairs would she have to climb just to get up there? A thousand? Completely impractical. The breeze tickled her collarbone and she remembered the tear in her shirt. She shucked it off and inspected the damage. Not too bad. The rags she'd made it from were tough strips of sailcloth, tarpaulin, and wagon cover. The stitching had torn was all. She could mend it easily with a needle and netline later. She managed to knot it more securely and slipped it back over her scrawny frame. Already her meal was gone, absorbed into the endless pit of her hunger. She would steal a purse tonight, maybe two. In fact, she decided she would rob until she had no less than the two skillets she'd lost when that stupid cat got away from her. And if she ended up with three or four skillets, maybe she'd buy a new shirt for herself and a proper belt so she could carry that rusty dagger she'd taken off the boys last night. But it rankled having to pay for clothes. It was why she had made her own shirt. If you stole clothes off of drying lines, people might recognize them. The rag and bone man wouldn't give a cheapskater a chipped plug for stolen clothes. But that wasn't the true reason she didn't steal clothes. She didn't like the idea of wearing other people's things, things that had been up against their skin. Wen thought it a silly aversion, but she didn't care what he thought. It was her skin. Rested and fed as she was, she began to get antsy. She didn't like waiting around when there was work to be done. Father always said that the life of a lazy thief was short and humiliating. Success in any endeavor took work. Descending from the ruined building warmed her sore muscles. After tonight, she'd give herself a day or two of rest. All this running about and getting knocked down was starting to tell. Later, she would rub some of Finta's salve on her muscles and see if that helped. She jerked to a stop just outside the entryway. There were men out on the street just where there shouldn't be any. Armsmen in helms with swords on their hips. A donesmaster stood with them, his gray hair ruffled in the wind. A white beard, it was him. They were looking all about, searching. She ghosted back into the shadows. The men kept looking around at the building, arguing with the donesmaster in raspy whispers. Their stiff necks told of suppressed impatience or nervousness. They looked like men fed up with mistreatment. Good. Sow discord and your enemies will reap vengeance upon themselves. Perhaps the Theb wasn't all nonsense. She waited until they were all facing away before darting from her spot to put another ruined building between her and them. She wasn't too worried about the armsmen. They weren't carrying flick bows. As long as that Dones master didn't see her, she was safe. The blasted quarter was silent save for the occasional pebble falling away from a wall. 
The streets were cluttered with such debris. Nobody knew what had happened here, save that it had happened during Elnissian times. There was scant evidence of recent traffic, though Kyla knew a few folks sheltered in the ruins despite the dangers. Some were just too proud to live in Cheapskate, so they came here and died. She hustled along, casting the occasional backward look. Nobody came after her. Soon she was out of the quarter and into Smith's Row, where forge fires dusted every surface with heavy soot. Her stop at Skiven Natchez's shop lasted the time it took for her to wave the pewter mug with one hand and cup her other. He plopped two copper in her palm. She shook the coins and kept her hand open. He added a nicked plug and waved her off. She frowned and tossed him the mug. Being rid of the mug made her feel lighter. It wasn't wise to carry stolen loot about. But racking that thing off boosted her spirits. Now that she'd had some time to think about it, she saw that her failure at Chance's Corner had been bad luck. Paul sometimes frowned, and nobody knew why. But Kyla had done well for herself with the mug and food. Father would have proved, except for that she'd done it in daylight. She watched her feet as she walked away from Smith's Row, lost once again counting the imaginary coins from the purse that had gotten away. It might have held even more than fifteen gold— The thought made her suck air through her teeth and bump her forehead with the heels of her hands. Fifteen gold. She could have set aside a few toward her and Wen's dream of going into legitimate business. They both held to their father's dream of setting up as licensed recovery agents. People would pay them to take back possessions that other people had stolen. But such licenses were expensive, but they couldn't apply for one until they had a shop. Recovery agents had to have some sort of business that masked their true operation. Everybody knew that. Kyla had no idea what that business might be, but whatever it was, it would require coin to stock the shelves. It was ridiculous that so many obstacles were thrown up to keep them from using their skills to help people. Not that Kyla minded stealing. She and Wen never stole from anyone in Cheapskate. They'd never steal from a soul who lived in Lower Terraside. What would be the point? Taking five copper plugs from a black-dressed old widow would do them little good, and it would mean the death of the old lady. People would find out if you did that sort of thing. Reputation was everything in Cheapskate. The only sort who would rob a granny were the villains who worked for Doc's Villa. Kyla did not consider herself a villain. Something was odd about this neighborhood. She stopped and looked at the houses around her. This wasn't Lower Terraside. At some point in her amble, she had turned her steps in the exact opposite direction she had intended to go. She was back in Upper Terraside, well west of Chance's Corner. She hadn't even noticed she was going upslope. She glanced at the sun. It was behind the mountains now, though the sky was still very light. She twisted her head about to get her bearings. This wasn't an area she came to often. The being-watched feeling was gone, but something else pulled her attention now, like an itch in her brain, unscratchable and irritating. A sense of done-it-before came over her as she went down a quiet back lane. Walls to right and left guarded large gardens in back of stately homes. These were wealthy folk, merchants and law speakers and paper shufflers who served in the citadel. Something was ahead, something she needed to see, Her course bent south, and she was again upon the sorrows, and very near to where she'd been the previous night. Just over there was the mouth of the Harridan Gate. She spotted him leaning against a wall beneath an overhang in front of an inn. The eyebrow, the flop of black hair, 
it was that rogue fallow again. He had on different pants now, though they were much too big for his thin frame. He was looking down the street, posture relaxed, but his eyes were alive and active. He was keeping watch. Kyla backed into an alley, finding the deepest shadow from which to spy. A lookout, no doubt about it. But for his position to be useful, his partner had to be close, within shouting distance. Kyla decided to bide her time and watch. The pull on her attention lifted her head and eyes to the rooftop above Fallow. Not much to see, just a ledge concealing a flat roof beyond. Fallow was doing his best not to look evil and failing. What an ugly face, Kyla marveled. A head popped into view above the ledge, then disappeared. Somebody was up there. It had to be Fallow's partner. Kyla glanced left and right, checking her guess. There was no doubt in her mind that roof was where she'd let the cat out of the sack. Would it have stayed so close after it ran off? If so, Fallow's partner was up there trying to capture it. Kyla faded deeper into the alley and chose a route onto the roofway that would keep her hidden from the street. Thieves rarely used the roofway during the day unless they needed to travel fast. But there were paths one could take that kept mostly out of view. It took her a quarter of an hour to loop around to get behind Fallow and his friend. She finally got into position on the peaked roof of a brewer's guild hall. From here she could survey the rooftop where the cat had gotten loose. And there was the ginger-haired boy. He was sitting with his back against a chimney. Ten paces in front of him was a dish. He had an empty sack over his knees. The pull Kyla had felt earlier was almost impossible to resist now. Her impulse was to go down and send the boy on his way. She stopped herself, instincts alive. She had been drawn here as if by, not the Mercus, but something outside of herself. With that thought, the Mercus vision struck again. This time, she didn't waver as much. It helped that she wasn't in the middle of a purse lift amongst a huge crowd. Iron nail heads popped into view in the shake shingles beneath her. Scuppers and downspouts revealed themselves, even when blocked from view by brick and timber. The boy was not carrying a weapon, but he did appear to have a few coppers in a pocket. Her vision went black. She put her hands down to keep herself from falling. The blindness flickered with bright flashes and blurs, like a nightscape lit by lightning. The darkness vanished, and the world came back to her, bright and clear. But she was seeing from the wrong place, as if she were crouched across from the boy. The dish lay between them. It had meat in it. She could smell it. He was staring at her, hands slowly moving to open the sack. But she wasn't across from the boy. Her feet and hands sensed the distinct roughness of the wood shingles of the guildhall roof. And even with her heightened senses, there was no way she should be able to smell what was in that dish from this distance. The muscles along her flanks rippled, her legs tensed. The dish grew closer, as if she were crawling toward it. The boy stiffened, hands lifting the sack, fingers pulling the mouth of it wide apart. He stared right into her eyes. Her vision snapped back to where it belonged. She wavered on the rooftop, her belly going all watery with nausea. The boy had not spotted her. All his attention focused on his quarry. The cat stalked toward the dish, dragging its belly, ears forward. Beneath the fading daylight, the cat's form wasn't so strange as it had been last night. Gone was the phantom silkiness of its vague shape. Now it simply looked like an animal, an elegant animal, but no odder than a peculiar breed of dog. 
it moved with supreme softness, inching toward the dish while keeping a keen eye out for any movement from the boy. Kyla realized the pair had been at this game for a long while, and she would have bet a silver plug that the cat had gotten away with several morsels of meat already. It was no different this time. The cat lunged, snatched, and dashed. The boy had barely gotten to his feet by the time the cat was bounding away with its prize. He didn't look particularly surprised by this. He went to the dish, prodded it with his toe. Kyla skidded down the guildhall roof and leapt the gap, landing softly on the boy's roof. He saw her coming but didn't move to run away. The way down was behind her. He lifted his chin, which was scraped as raw as her cheek. This was the boy who had attacked her last night. He was a bit bigger than her, but not by much. Red hair curled from under a knit cap. His skin was sunburned and covered with freckles. Unlike his friend, he didn't offer any charming words or smiles. He simply dropped his head and seemed to resign himself to a confrontation. I don't have any coin for you to steal, he said. His voice was firm, with the snappy enunciation of the well-educated. Probably a runaway from some merchant house. Might even be the son of a minor tradesman. They all put their boys under tutors in hopes of making them bookkeepers or to prepare them for a life in the way of Till. You have at least three copper plugs, she said. His faint brows lifted, but he made no motion to turn out his pockets. She didn't want his coins anyway. Give me the sack. Go down and tell Fallow the cat is mine. You want it now? I watched you let it go. From where? From the roof you just came off of. We watched you rob Reginald Keel. We wanted to know what was in the sack. Fallow and I had a wager going. Who won? Neither of us. Who would have thought it was a cat? What makes you think it's a cat? It looks like one. This conversation was going nowhere. What's your name? Henley. And you're Kyla Sai. Well, Hen, I warned you last night to stay out of my territory. She didn't have the dagger with her, so aggressive confidence would have to suffice. Don't call me Hen. And you can't claim all of Starside as your territory. He crossed his arms. It's not reasonable. Fallows came from somewhere behind her. Hey, you found me. He circled wide around her to join his friend. Paul frowns with one side of her mouth and smiles with the other. Don't you think she'd clean up nicely, Hen? Don't call me Hen. I don't see how Paul is smiling. The cat got the last of our giblets. I told you we should have set a box trap. Well, you don't have to worry about that now, Kyla said, motioning that the way was clear for them both to depart. The cat is mine. Fallow snorted. The cat belongs to the cat. You'll never catch it. Come on, Hen. No reason to get more bruises over this. The bounty is too little to bother with anyway. Say, I'm hungry. I guess it's Atlan eggs for us again. The two left, strutting rather stupidly, considering that they were retreating from a lone girl smaller than either of them. This made Kyla rather pleased with herself. She took Henley's spot at the chimney. She reckoned that she had plenty of time to wait for the cat before a full night cleared the street for some stealing. And if she caught the cat, she'd have her self-imposed gold quota all bundled up in one go. You need to put out some bait, sweetheart, Fallow called. He and Henley were sitting on the guildhall roof. She couldn't decide what made her want to stab him more. The list was getting quite lengthy. She didn't have any bait to put out, and she could hardly leave the roof she had just claimed to go scavenging for giblets. Feeling foolish, she slitted her eyes and pretended to nap. The Mercus vision was still with her. The boy's haze of copper plugs showed quite brightly now that she knew to look for them. She breathed deeply and enjoyed a growing languor. The momentary nausea from her odd vision before had faded. 
It must have been the beer. Sometimes beer was cut with Trez. Kyla didn't have much stomach for Trez, so even a small amount would induce visions. In Cheapskate, the spicy liquor was everyone's favorite. It was cheap, and its odd effects took people out of their misery for a while. She supposed Ramelstone cut his beer with it to make it go farther. The odd heightening of her senses that came with the Mercus vision wasn't so overwhelming now. She felt safe enough here, so she surrendered to it. If the obnoxious boys meant to attack her, they'd have done it already. The metal glow all around was pleasing. The tavern below her was alive with pewter, brass, and iron, a bit of steel here and there on patrons wearing swords or daggers. Her eyes snapped open. The cat was there, standing over the empty dish. It looked at her with eerie green eyes. Its chin and breast were white, matching its white socks and the flag on the tip of its tail. The gray fur was short and smooth. It looked very soft. She wondered if the pelt would be of interest to a furrier. There was a very fine one, Dan LaCuire, in Grissonside. She dealt in mink and ermine and fox, mostly. But surely one of the radiant ladies would like to have some rare cat gloves to show off. The idea of selling off bits of the cat made Kyla sit up. There might be more than two skillets to be had here. The skull and bones might bring some coin, too, if she could find the right fern eater. Such folks were always blending up concoctions to poison you or control your mind, and they always needed strange and rare ingredients. Unfortunately, the only person of that sort she knew was Fenta's song. The way of Till tended to kill fern eaters whenever they could. In truth, one did not want to know any true fern eaters. They might slip you something evil and make you their slave. That's what people said. Kyla's enthusiasm for parting out the cat waned. There wasn't much meat on its bones anyway. You could sell a gull or a rat to a kitchen for a few plugs. That's what was in most chicken stews and lower terracide. But there were rats in the sewers bigger than this thing. She almost pitied it, for its ribs stood out as much as hers. The green eyes were captivating, probably because the beastie was possessed by demonic spirits. Kyla didn't care what Fintas said about cats. The way of Till wouldn't pay hard gold if cats weren't dangerous. It was axiomatic in Starside. Take coin from a donesmaster and he'll own you in the exchange. She wished she'd made Henley give her his sack before forcing him off the roof. Even if she caught the little beast, she had no way to keep hold of it. She considered the ragged hem of her trousers. She might be able to rip off a strip or two to bind its feet. But even if it were tied up, she'd still have to carry it to the cathedral. That was very close by, but going there was a problem because that dunce master was after her. She shivered. How had he tracked her to the blasted quarter? Maybe he had signed her bones when he'd caught her the first time. She rubbed her arms. People said that don'ts masters could sign your bones with mercus spells, and that way they could track you wherever you went. Why am I here? She whispered to herself, suddenly angry. Hadn't she promised herself she wouldn't let anything lure her away from her task of getting coin tonight? She'd already seen how fast the cat was. She didn't have any chance of catching it, especially without bait or a net. Wen would have thought this all through. He would have been prepared. And why did she care about a two-gold skillet bounty anyway? She'd proved that pickpocketing was an easier way to get coin. Well, she'd almost proved it. Lovey, are you going to grab it or not? Fallow and Henley were still sitting on the Guildhall roof, watching her as if attending a play at the Mighton Theater. The cat was within arm's reach. It had crept toward her while she'd been reprimanding herself. She lifted a hand, 
offering her knuckles the way her father had taught her to greet dogs. The cat nosed her, its soft breath caressed her skin. And then it pushed its face under her palm and pressed forward. Kyla was delighted by its softness and its stupidity. She stroked the fur all the way down to the tail. The animal daintily stepped into her lap and pressed little white feet into her belly. It kneaded her with soft prods. A buzzing noise vibrated in its body. With great caution, Kyla took hold of it, hugged it to her chest. Curses and groans came from atop the guildhall roof. Kills eyes! That's not fair! It went right to her! Kyla smirked at the boys. They were disgusted beyond all reckoning. Henley yanked off his knit cap and flailed his knee with it. Fallow muttered under his breath, but Kyla's mercus-aided hearing brought her every word. He was demanding to know what Henley had been doing all this time. This earned him a sharp elbow in the gut. The cat settled into Kyla's arms and began to lick one of its feet with a small pink tongue. Delicate whiskers sprouted from snout and brow. The grooming went on and on. You're a dim candle, aren't you? She said to it. She now had a problem. The cat seemed content to be held, but she didn't want to carry it loose where anyone might see it. She needed Henley's sack. Boys, I got a deal to offer you, she said, letting her tongue go easy with a bit of cheap's talk. I'll give you a cut of the bounty if you give me that sack. One skillet, five silver, Fallow called immediately. Henley grumbled that he would agree to no such terms, nor any terms less than the total surrender of the cat into his possession. He sure did speak like a merchant's son. One copper plug, Kyla countered. Negotiations in Cheapskate didn't often deal in actual coin, but the principles were the same. Both sides customarily started with insulting offers and proceeded to argue until someone got fed up and stormed off. Apparently Fallow knew this and decided to cut it short. Henley's convinced me it'll be more fun to stand by and watch you lose the cat again. No, Sack. Kyla got to her feet. The cat dug needle-sharp claws into her forearm and was now a large burr attached to her flesh. Ow, not so hard. The cat's ears flicked, but it didn't retract its claws. The boys laughed. Kyla educated them about their ancestors with a string of molten obscenities. This tirade faded mid-streak as that weird feeling of being watched pulled her head around. From where she stood, she could see just a sliver of the sorrows. It curved a bit, then disappeared into the Harridan Gate. Nobody was looking at her. Nobody stood on the rooftops across the street. No, the feeling was coming from downslope. She absently stroked the cat's head and considered her options. None of them were good. But it was the two scoundrels now openly mocking her that decided her course. They could say whatever they wanted and laugh their heads off for all she cared. Two gold skillets would be in her pocket by morning. I wouldn't take that sack now if you gave it to me as a winter night gift, she said. Do all us a favor, Hen, and put it over Fallow's head. Henley barked a laugh but caught himself and forced a frown. Don't call me Hen. Fallow smirked and nodded appreciatively at Kyla's insult, which choked her goat no end. What sort of scoundrel laughed when insulted? A lousy one was what sort. She rearranged the clingy cat, tucking it close to her chest with one arm. She needed at least one arm free for balance. She ran to the edge of the roof and jumped. She landed atop the guild hall with an inch or two of shingle behind her heel. The boys watched her, a glimmer of appreciation breaking through their recreational contempt. She put them out of her mind as she plotted her course. 
All she needed to do was keep out of view of the street and certain windows, make many long, dangerous leaps, and traverse several miles of the city while holding a wild animal that possessed very sharp claws. The only way to safely claim the bounty was to have Wen do it. He wasn't wanted by the watch or that donesmaster with the bone-freezing Mercus rod. That meant carrying the little beastie all the way to Cheapskate. But first she needed to stop by Finta's to collect Wen's medicine. And that posed another problem. She didn't have the bounty yet. Kill's eyes in a bucket, she muttered. There was nothing for it. She'd just have to stow the cat someplace, steal some coin, then hope she got to Finta's before the old woman went to bed. The next two jumps were easy enough, and she was able to go along the rear of the building to stay masked from the sorrows, but the next jump was going to be impossible without both arms free. She decided to stuff the cat under her shirt, then tuck in her shirt tails and carry it like a baby in the womb. It did not want to be under her shirt. Her belly and ribs took several long stripes from its hind claws before Kylie gave up on the idea. She could hardly blame the poor creature. After being stuffed into that sack, it probably hated the thought of being put into another one. The boys thought the whole act as hilarious as a mummer's skit. She had to put the cat down to get off the roof and onto the street. She was sure it would run off, but it followed her, bounding first onto a narrow fence, then onto her shoulder. And there it stayed, affixed by its claws. This freed up her hands and arms, which made for much freer movement. The boys followed, keeping well back. They occasionally burst into more rounds of disgusting laughter. She couldn't hear what was said, but she knew boys. Their minds were pits of depravity. They loved nothing more than to scandalize each other with increasingly foul jokes. Kyla refused to acknowledge them. She decided it best to skirt right along the starside wall. The road there ran straight down slope. Some creative official had named it Wall Street. It was used mostly by drayage wagons pulled by teams of massive atlans or horses. It was ridiculously steep. Any wagon on the downhill route was dependent upon its brake lever to keep it from running out of control, which was not an uncommon occurrence. Kyla and Wen had often watched the slope, hoping to see such mayhem and carnage. No luck so far. The men piloting the wagons didn't have attention to spare her a second glance, and hopefully wouldn't take note of the animal on her shoulder. The slope was cold under Kyla's bare feet. Everything this close to the divide was always in shade. And now that night was falling, it was chill enough to make her appreciate the warmth of the cat against her neck. When she got close to Rancy Park, she cut north again. The boys followed her much more closely than she liked. They were not laughing anymore. She deemed it time to lose them for good. She didn't want them knowing where she stowed the cat while she went stalking for coin. The sky was fully dark now, and dim lantern light was glowing in a few windows. Crisp stars presaged a chill night. That was a pain, because her marks would be more likely to bundle their greatcoats shut. She admonished herself not to think about it. Worry is tomorrow seeking comfort today. Father's wisdom made it sound rather simpler than it was. She straightened and patted the cat's head. Best if you not worry about tomorrow either, little Gray. It won't be pleasant, but for your sake I hope it goes quick. She climbed onto a roof, careful to be quiet. There were no toll pails close by, and these residents were not accustomed to foot traffic above their heads. It took a few leaps and climbs to get far enough ahead of the startled boys to bend east and clamber over the marshalling yard wall where the wagoners kept their drayage crates and wagons. The crates were stacked along the starside wall. She poked around until she found a large one with a loose lid. 
The cat peered into it a moment and then jumped in of its own accord. That was easy. Kyla dropped the lid. It was heavy enough the cat wouldn't be able to squeeze it open. Kyla oozed into shadows and watched the yard for any sign of Fallow and Henley. Satisfied she'd lost them, she made quick passage back to the sorrows and found a perch overlooking the cheap's market. She didn't plan to stalk anyone down here, but she waited a quarter of an hour to make sure the boys hadn't tracked her. She wouldn't put it past Fallow to hang back and let her think she'd gotten away. He was smarter than he looked. But neither of the boys appeared. She had her coppers from the pewter mug to drop into a couple toll pails. She had no interest in going further into toll debt, though she knew none of the shop owners would know. She knew, and there was such a thing as honor. Well, maybe not, but there was such a thing as dignity. Three coppers wouldn't get her far, so she set out on a longer route than usual. That was the story of the whole day, it seemed. Her stomach felt it, too, even more than her legs. She was hungry, starving. Father said that hunters did better when they were hungry. He said hunger made the senses keener. Kyla wasn't so sure about that. Besides, hunting was a dangerous way to think about her task, much better to scavenge for easy takings. So it was back to stalking drunks, which was pretty much the same as robbing someone asleep. She got to the roof of the Yin Inn and crouched at the edge overlooking the sorrows. This was her favorite perch. There were a number of taverns just around the bend that serviced the type of folks who carried spare coin. The street was deserted. Perfect. In the years since father's murder, she and Wynne had learned which sort of men to rob and which to leave alone. Older men were less spry, but more experienced. That made them good marks because they wouldn't let their pride cost them their lives. Young men would fight, which meant they had to be very drunk to be considered. There were lots of in-betweens, and Kyla watched their gates, their postures, looking for the slight swell on their hip that betrayed a dagger. She ignored men with swords entirely. Such were always looking for people to slice up. She let three men pass who would have been good marks if they'd been drunker. A lone woman scurried along directly below Kyla, clutching a bag to her belly. She was dressed very smart, with a hat one would expect amongst a Tilsday crowd. Kyla wished her Mercus vision was upon her. She was desperate to know if the woman carried coin. A well-off lady was the best mark of them all. They were soft, easily frightened, and eager to give up a purse to end a confrontation. This particular woman was headed upslope, shoulders drawn in, head swiveling toward every side street. Kyla had held the Mercus vision so much recently, she decided it was worth a try to bring it forth on purpose. Again, she relaxed her eyes, sought to witness the city without naming anything. To her delight, metal sprang into view. The air went crisp with the sound of footsteps, the caress of wind over rooftops, and the distant clang of rigging on ships in the harbor. Kyla kept pace with her new mark, leaping gaps and skirting around chimneys. She got a little way ahead and perched in black shadow. The woman wore a gold necklace and two silver bracelets. In her bag were a few small sparks of gold and silver. Coins. Lovely coins. At least four gold skillets. Kyla backed from the ledge and dashed to a nearby climb down. The woman came to the mouth of her alley. Kyla ran straight at her, put her shoulder into the woman's hip, and lifted. Same thing she'd done to that master. The woman didn't have the chance to scream. The impact knocked the wind right out of her. Kyla rested the bag away and sprinted straight into the chest of an armsman. He wrapped his arms around her and squeezed. Another man took the bag from her. 
the dunce master was already helping the woman to her feet. You did well, miss. Here, take the bag, keep the coin. Kill damn Tills boy, Kyla grunted through gritted teeth. The woman had been bait, and Kyla had been snared in the trap. The dunce master removed his pale rod from its sheath and approached. Kyla's limbs stopped moving. Put her down, armsman. Go tell the senior acolyte we have her. He'll wake the hargath. When the man had gone, the dunce master bent over Kyla. His face was haggard, hair unkempt. Kyla wanted nothing more than to gouge out his eyes. He absently tapped the rod against his lips. Your Marcus potential is remarkable, girl. Do you know how close you are? You hold it even now, yet you manifest nothing. But I suppose the heightened senses are valuable for a thief. He squatted down and pursed his lips. I pity you. What awaits you will not be pleasant. I pray to till its brief, but I doubt it will be. His eyes lifted. I hear them coming. Listen to me now. I hold no grudge against you. As a don'ts master of till, it is my duty to offer counsel. When he lays his hand upon your head, do not resist. Give him everything, and it will go easier for you. Resist, and he will double your suffering. Kyla could move only her eyes. The armsmen came into view, bearing poles on their shoulders. Mounted between these was a curtained box. The feeling of being watched overwhelmed her. It came from inside those curtains. It was looking at her, looking in her. Yes, I feel you, Kala Sai. She screamed, or tried to. Her mouth would not open to let it out. An acolyte trotted near and conferred with the Dones master. Dunskill, the Hargath wishes the girl to be put in with him. Can't he wait until we return to the abbey? We do not question his orders. Very well, armsmen, pick her up. Again, Kyla was hefted by one of the armored men. He cradled her. She looked up at his hard face, saw the stiff whiskers and the curls of hairs poking out of his nose. Tired eyes. His rank odor wormed into her nose. The sedan chair was on the ground now. An acolyte was pulling back the curtain. Yes. You are magnificent. Streetlight leaked through the parted curtain. Blankets covered a slight human form inside. A flutter of wind widened the opening. Light spilled across a skull-like face. It had no eyes. But it saw her. It looked into her. Get out, she screamed in her mind. Get out of me. A serpentine hiss came from the sedan chair. Sir Hargath, whispered an acolyte. What pains you? It is nothing. Put her next to me. A skeletal hand lifted, long fingers testing the air like tongues. The armsman brought her to the opening. He paused there, waiting for instruction. An acolyte moved about inside, arranging blankets and pillows. The smell of rotten fruit lifted from within. Kyla put all her will into moving. Just a finger, anything— the armsman knelt and shifted Kyla to angle her head through the opening. If she went in, she knew she would never come out. Let me go, she screamed in her mind. The paralysis released. 
Her fury and panic exploded. She wriggled and snarled. Her hand caught the armsman's face. Fingers probed into his squeeze-shut eyes. Legs kicking, she twisted and screamed. Beyond her own shrieks, she heard the Hargath's pig squeals of agony. She fell, struck the ground. Air whooshed from her lungs. Another man was shouting, Kill it! Kill it! Come on, lovey! Hands gripped under her arms and dragged. Get on your feet. Do we have to do everything? It was fallow. Kyla didn't pause to study the chaos all around her. She was vaguely aware of the don'ts master writhing on the ground, his mercus rod rolling across the paving stones. Armsmen were scraping swords out of sheaths. Acolytes were motioning for everyone to be silent. The Hargath keened in pain inside his curtain chair. The alley opened before her and she threw herself into shadow. A faint gray shape darted ahead of her, low to the ground. The cat... Keep going, Cy, said Henley. They're coming. The Mercus vision didn't make the darkness bright, but she sensed the path before her. She leapt debris that made the boys stumble. The great cat was leading her, pulling her. She felt almost dragged by its presence. It was the same feeling that had pulled her from the blasted quarter to the roof where she'd found Henley trying to catch the cat. Are you doing this? She thought at the cat. The pull grew stronger, and she dodged rubbish bins, leapt fences, and then dropped onto hands and knees to squeeze through a hole in a brick wall. She came out into an abandoned old brewery. She knew this place, very close to the blasted quarter. The boys wormed their way in behind her. The cat stood there, looking back. Its green eyes were bright in the dim space. Broken windows let in a haze of mercus light from the street. They were well away from the sorrows here. The boys had their hands on their knees, sucking in huge breaths. Kyla listened for the distinctive jingle of armored men running toward their position, but the night was quiet. They stab you or anything? Fallow asked. His face was hidden in shadow, but he sounded genuinely concerned. I don't think so. She checked her body, but there was no particular pain, just exhaustion. The cat let out an irritable mule and stalked off. Don't let it get away, Henley said. We've been chasing it all the way from that box you stuffed it in. He stumbled after it. A clanging of a metal pail resounded in the hollow space, followed by soft curses. Where did it go? Kyla didn't bother asking how they knew where she'd stashed the cat. All she cared about was getting out of Starside and back to her den. Fallow nudged her. What did that don'ts master do to you? Did he? He made an uncomfortable shrug with one shoulder. No, it wasn't like that but she didn't know that, not truly. He seemed to think I'm a Merculin or something. They were going to drag me off to the abbey. Henley came back into the light, rubbing his hip. His knit cap was askew, and a floof of ginger hair peeped out on one side. It's in a hole back there. I can reach it, but its claws are sharper than Kill's own teeth. He sucked the back of his hand. Kyla knew exactly where it was. She couldn't see it, but she could point to it. She moved into the deeper shadows. The pail tripped her and clanged across the floor. She reiterated Henley's curses, adding a bit more salt to them. Her Mercus vision had abandoned her. It didn't matter. She inched forward, hands outstretched until they encountered a brick wall. Crouching, she probed until she found the ragged edges of a busted iron pipe, big enough to get her head stuck in. Come out, she called to the cat, voice resounding hollowly in the tube. She sensed the boy standing well back, she wasn't sure why they had helped her, but her thiefly suspicions were alight. They were after the cat, after the bounty. 
Only Paul's grace had crossed their path with hers. She figured they had only helped her to put her in their debt, as if that would make her give up the cat. Where's the sack? She called over her shoulder. Hen lost it in the scuffle, Fellow said. Next came a soft oof as Fellow got another elbow in the gut. Then, don't call me Hen. And I didn't lose it. I put it over that brute's helmet. It was your idea to save the girl. You're too smitten with her to listen to reason. Smitten? I think my standard is a bit higher than this scrawny thing. A face like mine will require considerably more loveliness in a mate to make my children even reasonably passable. Besides, she already turned me down. Now, as for your other ridiculous assertions, it was not my idea to save her. It was the cat's. Cats don't have ideas, Kyla said. They're simple as chickens. Well, that chicken in the pipe jumped on the Donesmaster and bit his hand, then crawled up his arm and scratched his face. Maybe it wasn't an idea. Maybe it simply attacks men of till. They have every reason to, she said absently. The cat was deeper in the pipe than before. The sense of being pulled was growing tighter. This pipe must come out somewhere. Sewers, probably. Kyla found the brewery's rear exit. It came out into a shoulder-width alley nearly as dark as the inside of the brewery. She couldn't see the pipe since her Mercus vision had fallen away, but she felt pulled in one particular direction. She went that way, ignoring the boy's scuffling footsteps behind her. The pipe did not penetrate to the outside of the brewery. Fallow was probably right about it draining into the sewers. Kyla never went into the sewers this far upslope, only at the gate by the Cherry Bottom Inn. Nobody went in up here. This was the domain of the Thinnies, a strange people who demanded high tolls of trespassers. They knew some fern-eater lore, too, for they blew poison darts from wooden pipes. Entering the sewers this far upslope would be testing Paul's good humor, and the fickle goddess hadn't been in much of a smiling mood of late. But there was no choice. The pull was too strong to refuse. This wasn't about collecting a bounty now not primarily, anyway. Kyla had lost her appetite for coin. She only wanted to hide and sleep and forget the whole day. But she couldn't turn away. The cat might as well have been yanking on a chain tied to her neck. Kyla had to go half a mile downslope before she spotted a grate big enough to squeeze through. She grabbed and hefted, but it was rusted shut. She wrinkled her nose. I've got to get down there. Fallow and Henley swooped in, clawing the grate and straining to move it. Kyla added her strength, and it let go all at once, spilling them onto their backsides. The grate clanged so loudly, Kyla was sure the Donesmaster and his armsmen would hear it. She didn't want to wait to find out. Rusty iron rungs led down into darkness. She went in quickly to overcome what little hesitation remained. If an unpleasant task had to be done, best to do it and put it in the past. The darkness hid the ankle-deep sludge running along the bottom. She knew it was mostly runoff from the streets, but that wasn't all it was. The smell brought her stomach to her mouth. Breathing into her sleeve, she sloshed away from the ladder, letting the strange pull of the cat guide her. She found it in an adjoining tunnel which stood well above the level of the flowage. She crawled in, feeling the darkness until touching the soft fur of the animal's body. It meowed and made a strange buzzing noise. I suppose I have to thank you for scrapping with that Donesmaster. Wish I could have put some stripes across his cheek myself. The cat leaned against her and accepted some scratches under its chin. And then it was gone. Kill's eyes, she spat. Where are you going? Out of the low tunnel and back into a big one. 
Kyla heard the flow of water, but she couldn't see it. If the cat had jumped here, it was surely being carried downstream. But it wasn't. She could feel it just below her. She turned around, flopped onto her belly, and thrust her feet over the drop into the larger tunnel. She clung with her fingers as she lowered herself, toes reaching. They met dry wood. A platform. She dropped the rest of the way onto a thinny built walkway. Not good. Not good at all. Gray light beamed through a grate far down to her left. The water oozed in the blackness, raising a hollow slosh and sigh in the air. The air was cleaner smelling here, but not by much. Where'd she go? Henley said. His voice was hollow in the distance. They'd lost track of her when she'd come into the cross tunnel. That suited Kyla just fine. The cat was trotting away. Kyla followed. She fingered the outlines of the coppers she had in her pocket. Thinnies didn't take coin from what she'd heard. They wanted gifts, preferably daggers and swords or pots, and not junk items like the dagger she'd taken from the boys. She wished she had it with her now. She kept low as she trailed the cat, though she doubted it mattered in the darkness. The boys were being too loud, calling for her in harsh whispers. Idiots. She would be much happier when she was rid of them. They had only saved her skin so that she could lure in the cat. They didn't care about her at all. The Mercus vision would be quite handy at the moment. She'd be able to see grates or ladders, and surely there were scraps of metal debris at the bottom of the sewer tunnel. But using the Mercus vision worried her. She was starting to think that using it drew the don'ts master's eye. He'd said she was a Merculin about to awaken. A Merculin. Kills teeth in a cup. Kyla trusted Merculins less than she did Ferneaters. At least the latter had to stick you with a dart or make you drink a tainted cup of Trez to do you in. Merculins could charm you into doing things you didn't want to do. They could make light out of nothing. Some were even able to set candles alight. The mere thought of someone making fire out of nothing gave her the shivers. The cat kept going, moving quickly and pulling Kyla along. At least it was going down slope. The thinnies rarely bothered people near the outlet into Cheapskate. Soon enough, she was below the Cherry Bottom Inn. She knew this section of the sewers well enough. She came out next to a flowing deluge that spilled into the Sour Water Inlet. She dropped to a stone ledge, which led by jumps and leaps to the first rooftops of Cheapskate. Kyla felt instantly better once she was under open sky. The stars were still crisp and bright. Best of all, there was no way that Donesmaster and his armsmen could get at her here, not without her seeing them coming. People didn't traverse Cheapskate through the maze of unmappable alleys. They all walked the roofs from shack to shack. There were no tall structures here, just a long downward sloping plain of ruffled tin, crate lids, and shipwreck salvage. The cat arrowed straight for the center of it all. Kyla jogged to keep up, for now it was loping along, going fast. Where are you going? she called. The cat circled wide around Doc Sviller's compound. Some called him the king of Cheapskate, but he was nothing more than a crime boss. Once past his three-acre compound, Kyla followed the cat to the other edge of Cheapskate, where a freight road connected the docks to the Cheaps. The cat leapt from the last roof and alighted gracefully onto the stone pavement. Without a backward glance, it slipped onto the docks. Kyla followed, curiosity pulling her as much as the inexplicable compulsion that came from the cat. It finally stopped at the gangway of a two-masted treasure. Kyla knew the ship, Scarlet Swan. It was owned by the Keels. The boy she'd stolen the cat from was a Keel, one of five or six brothers. They all looked the same, 
pale as undershorts and mean as pikefish. The cat tested the air with its nose and whiskers, then looked back at Kyla. Wait. Huh? The cat darted up the gangway and vanished. Kyla's mouth opened and closed. The sense of being pulled had vanished, too. Come, it's safe. The voice was inside her head, the same thing the Hargath had done to her. Come, hurry. Again the compulsion took hold. Kyla padded along the gangway. This was stupid. Father had lectured her a hundred times never to go aboard a ship without the captain's permission. Never, ever, ever. Yet here she was, bare feet on the deck planks. There was a little light coming from storm lanterns at the bow and stern, but otherwise the ship was dark and quiet save for the soft creaking of the rigging. She went forward until she came to an open hatch. The cat was down inside the aft hold. Come, they need your help. She squatted and peered into the darkness. Green eyes looked up at her. The white chin moved a little and a mournful mule came up. Kyla sat on the edge and dropped through. The hold was musty and wet-smelling. Shadowy crates were stacked everywhere. The keels imported trez, so these must be empties. The ship was probably going to beat out of the harbor in the morning to make another run to Wanton or some such place. The cat led her across the hold to a larger crate with a wire mesh front. A cage. A terrible animal stink wafted out, and Kyla fought a gag. She wished she'd brought down one of the lanterns. If there were more cats here, Paul had truly graced her with a smile. Open it. Are you talking to me, little gray? No answer. Kyla felt along the wire front. She found a loop of rope holding it in place. It pulled free easily and the wire tilted forward. Catching it, she laid it softly onto the deck. The smell took her breath away, and it was all she could do not to retch. Covering her nose with her sleeve, she reached into the dark place. Eyes lit up, all shaped like the gray cats. Four cats. Five in total. That would make ten gold skillets, nearly as much as she had lost in Chance's corner. One cat nosed forward, hissing. It cut off abruptly. Ignore Holly. He hates everyone. A cat could not talk into her mind. It simply could not. But that horrible skeletal man had done it. Maybe he'd loosed the works of her mind, driven her mad. But was she mad? She'd seen plenty of madness in cheapskaters. None of those poor souls ever thought their minds a tilt. They didn't have enough sense to ask if they were mad. She didn't have time to muse about her own sanity. Getting these valuable animals off the ship was the task. Casting about for a container, she was startled by two shapes huddled in the band of light coming through the open hatch. A flop of hair, a knit cap. Get out of here, she hissed. Kill's eyes, I swear I'll stab your guts. What is that smell, fellow whispered. I know I said you needed a bath, but sweet Ori in ecstasy, I think you'd best burn your clothes. It's not me, you hatchet-faced scoundrel, she spat. But what was the point in arguing with these boys? Like all such creatures, Fallow and Henley were ornery, crude, and annoying. But they might be useful. There are more cats in here. Oh, a trove of gold for the taking. Shut up, Fallow. Henley dropped through and came toward her. She tensed, ready to fight. He paused. I'm not going to attack you. Look, we each take a cat or two, collect the bounty, Fallow and I take half, you take the other half. Generous offer for someone who refused to sell me a burlap sack. I'm tired. I want to sleep. 
You can come back to our Atlin barn, eat as many eggs as you want. In the morning, we'll all go to the cathedral together and rack these animals off for the coin. I can tolerate those terms, Fallow said. Now Kylo is even more suspicious. Why give me half? Henley sighed. We're trying to skip the arguing. We are on a ship we were not invited onto, and I have a history with the keels. They would love nothing more than to catch me aboard. My death would be slow and quite public. Pressure was building in her lower gut. She realized it was like the compulsion to follow the cat. It was coming from the cat. Hurry, came the voice into her head. Henley took her prolonged silence as agreement to the terms. He reached into the crate. Got one. Got two. Looks like two more in here. Fallow was next. One came readily, the other hissed. Ollie hates everyone, Kyla said. Then she hurt herself. Maybe she was going mad. She had been sloshing through the sewers, following a cat she couldn't see. A dull thunk sounded overhead. They all froze, eyes on the ceiling. Someone's up there, Kyla whispered. Henley nodded. Fallow was wrestling with a pale cat in one arm. It seemed intent on clawing his eyes out. The little gray mewled. The creamy cat went still. Kyla inched to the edge of the spill of light coming into the hold from above. Relaxing her eyes, she let the names of things slip away. Everything she saw became merely shape, color, and texture. The fishy odor of the docks and the musty stink of the cargo hold lost names too. It was a mix of sensation, nothing more. Same with the sound of footfalls and the clang of the rigging. Metal began to glow. Pins in the wheels of the blocks in the rigging, iron bands around the masts, nails, tools, a belt buckle and curved sword right above her head. Gold and silver jewelry on fingers and ears. The sailor paused a long time. He hocked phlegm and spat, shifted his weight from one foot to the next. Then he wandered off. She supposed he was on watch, not very attentive. The cats must have been a prize from some far-off land. This was a keel ship, so it made sense that the boy she'd robbed had gotten his cat from among these. But why a wealthy keel would go to all that bother for two gold skillets was a bit puzzling. Once the guard had moved well forward, Kyla hefted two empty wooden trez boxes to the hatch. The boys needed no instruction. They climbed up and were gone. The little gray cat bounded after them. Come and stop seeing. You'll draw his eye. The cat's voice was small, but not childish, insistent, but not loud, different from the horrid seers whose voice had rasped against her mind like fingernails on slate. He sees you when you use it. An odd pressure came with the words, and Kyla's Mercus vision vanished. Come. She obeyed. The three thieves crept back to the gangway and quickly ran up the docks. Kyla had to call the boys to a stop, for they were running toward the cheeps. It would be pure stupidity to try going through the gate carrying cats. The boys were so desperate to get back to their hidey hole they hadn't thought it through. Come back to the warren, she said. I need to check on my brother anyway, and we have to figure out how to get these beasts all the way up to the cathedral without drawing notice. The warren, Fallow said skeptically. Parlo Odak doesn't like me. He doesn't like anyone. He has special reason to not like me. His man Jocko has standing instructions to brain me on sight. Why did boys have to make even the simplest thing difficult? She wasn't keen on showing them the secret way into her den, but there was no choice. 
They could no more carry cats through the warren than they could through the cheeps. Why can't we take them through the sewer? Henley asked. Kyla rounded on him. Listen, Hen, I'm not going back into the city tonight, and neither are you. But we have Atlan eggs to eat. Leave the cats in the warren, and you can go eat all the eggs you want. Go for a swim in the sour water for all I care. The cats stay with me, or the deal is off. Got it, Hen? My name is Henley, and maybe we'll just take our cats and go to the cathedral now while it's dark. Do you think you can outrun me? One of us could. She folded her arms. Fine. Which one of you wishes to die? Because you know the rules about bargains. That statement had a much stronger effect on them than she expected. In truth, she wasn't planning to give chase. Wen needed her, and she was not going to sacrifice the two gold she had in the little gray cat chasing eight gold in these other cats that smelled like a chamber pot. We'll honor the deal, Fallow said. There was none of his usual humor in his voice. This flat inflection was odd coming from him. It was the voice of a boy's father coming out of his lips. In a way, it reminded her of how Wen sounded when he quoted father. Then come back to my den. They looked at each other, shrugged. The little gray cat was sitting at Kyla's feet. Scooping it up, she put it on her shoulder and headed for home. The boys followed. They did not like the rooftop of the warren, and they both balked at climbing down the nailed-on boards to her secret entrance over the sour water. But when Kyla went down with no fear, and a cat clinging to her shoulder, their pride took over. Hi, I'm Eric Edstrom, the author of Thief of Sparks, and your narrator. Thank you for listening to this extra-long chapter. Things have gotten really exciting, and there's so much more adventure ahead. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. The simplest way to support this podcast is to go to Amazon and buy a copy of Thief of Sparks. Another thing you can do to support the podcast is to leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And of course, as you know, from every podcast you listen to, Apple is the place that has the most bang for the buck. I will be back next week with some more of this story. If you have a feedback or a comment, email podcast at ericedstrom.com. See you next time.